Hello, and welcome to Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast, connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. On today's podcast, we're featuring portfolio manager Mark Schmel, sharing his appearance at Fidelity's Vision 2023 event with you that was held recently in Toronto. For Canadian investors, Mark manages Fidelity Special Situations Fund, Canadian Growth Company, and Global Innovators. And today with host Pat Bolland, we'll hear Mark's thoughts on the current market environment and how he is positioning his funds for 2023 with both offense and defense. Also, as there are continuing headlines surrounding inflation and tapering, we'll hear if this changes Mark's market outlook. Mark believes that despite continued volatility in global markets, visibility has improved compared with six months ago, with more clarity now on central bank actions and the state of the economy. Looking ahead, Mark believes it is important to analyze companies with a long-term perspective, looking beyond 2023, and focusing on what earnings could look like in a more normalized environment. Against this backdrop, Mark is spending a lot of time looking at long-term secular growers that he believes present good risk-reward profiles over the long term. We'll hear more about which specific opportunities he is excited about. Mark and Pat also take a few questions from the audience. This podcast was recorded on January 31st, 2023. For more podcasts from Fidelity Canada's Vision 2023 event, please subscribe as more will be released in the coming days in addition to the handful released already. Or for full video replays of the event, advisors should reach out to their Fidelity rep and investors should head to fidelity.ca slash the upside and sign up for the upside newsletter. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada ULC or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy or an endorsement, recommendation or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read a fund's prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments. Good to see you in person though. Nice to be Happy back. New Year. Yep. Where is your head at right now? Uh, it's been interesting listening to all the presentations today and, and getting a fl- flavor of where my colleagues are. And I'd say the mood has been you know, constructively you know, not so bad. I'm actually in the camp, I think things are getting better. And I think this is like a, we're in a sneaky bull market that nobody wants to acknowledge and nobody's really ready for. And there's lots of talk about inflation and rates and it's too hard, right? But, but what you can see below the surface, if you're spending time like I am with like, I think I have to look at 7,000 stocks, it's way too many for one human being. But when you look across at all the different sectors, you can see like stuff is working again. And stuff that hasn't worked in almost two years. I think my funds and you know, growth in general peaked almost two years ago to the day. I think I probably peaked in January of 2021. And it's just been like it's it's been a train wreck, right? Like everything's gone straight down that has any sort of multiple rates crushed everything. And the pattern of behavior in the stock market now is not like it's been for two years. And so I'm a big believer in listening to what the market is saying because the market is smarter than everybody in this room, including me. And the market is saying, you know what? I think the worst may be over. Could be wrong, it's wrong a lot, but it's very consistent and it's been very powerful. 
And we've had a lot of very large stocks go up an awful lot without a lot of headlines, right? If you think about from the bottom, Netflix bottomed in October. It's up 70% since then. You know, Facebook bottomed in December. It's up 60%. Tesla's up, what, 80% in three weeks? These are big, big stocks that have had huge, huge moves off the bottom. And rightly so, we're still all worried about inflation and rates and all the things that have been bothering us for the last two years. But the market's taking big companies and is buying them. And I don't think most market participants are positioned for this. I know I wasn't. And I was like a lot of other people. I think late last year, you know, we're all in defenses. We own some like staples and some healthcare, and we're, we can all see the recession coming. And I, and I think that um, on the Ramona panel, they talked about like, who, who doesn't see the recession coming, right? With the inverted yield curve and the terrible headlines and the market's down 30%. Who doesn't see that? It's, it's the most obvious recession in the history of the universe. And I think that in a lot of cases, and I've had this argument with a lot of folks internally, most of the investors in this room or in, in my profession have experienced two bear market recessions in the last 20 years. I have two. And both of them, the markets went down 50%. One was a tech wreck, and one was an existential financial crisis. And this is neither of those two things. And I think that what we've done as investors is we've extrapolated into, well, uh, clearly the market's going to go down 50% because it did the last two times. And we always want to curve fit. So if, if you look at the, the strategists and the macro guys, they're always saying, this is like the 40s, and this is like the 50s, and this is exactly like 2001, and some, some period, right? Some period. And the, the thing is, you have to remember is it's not like any period. Who cares what happened in 1945 or 19, 2001? Or, who cares? What you have to care about is what's going on in the future. And it seems incredibly unlikely to me given what we know about where the economy is worldwide, that we're gonna have a down 50% financial crisis type of disaster, right? Is this the tech wreck again? No, like these tech companies, they make tons of money, tons of money. They pay employees too much, you know, their margins are terrible because of it, but it's really easy. I mean, Elon's already showed us, you can go into Twitter and you can fire 95% of the people and the thing still works, right? So, <laughs> You don't need as many people as you've got, and a lot of these like growth businesses are starting to finally get the message of, you know, I really don't need 27 masseuses if I'm Google, right? I could probably do it four or whatever. So you, you have a lot, of, a lot of good businesses in technology that make a lot of money that have been blowing it on dumb things, and they're now finally changing that pattern. This is not the tech wreck. This is not the financial crisis. This is a garden variety recession that's a response to a weird once in a hundred year pandemic. We're gonna go back and we're gonna see a lot of these curves. I've seen a lot of them. And we're coming through it. And we're on the other side of that. And so now the question is, and the panel was just trying to address it. They don't know, I don't know, nobody knows. What's gonna to happen to inflation or rates and the market's discounting this. Who cares? What we need to know is stocks are down a ton. Expectations are incredibly beaten up. And almost every investor on the planet is sitting here waiting for the end of the world because that's what we've experienced twice now in 20 some odd years. And I was at a recent healthcare conference. There's a big one in San Francisco every year and it was packed. And you'd go into these healthcare meetings and healthcare is a great you know, defensive sector. 
And these meetings were boring, right? You'd go in and you'd listen to United Health or Boston Scientific and companies I own. And it's like, this is boring. Nothing's changing. Everybody owns the same 12 names in healthcare because we're all worried about the same disaster. And I sort of came out of that and said, I, this is wrong. Like, this, is, this is making a huge mistake because markets have already discounted a lot of this stuff. And what if we don't have the risk? What if we don't have a recession? I mean, oh my God, what if? What, what if it's not as bad as we think it's going to be? What does that mean for everyone's portfolio? And at the same time, you're watching like all oh, like mega cap tech just rip. And all the frauds, sorry, not frauds, the low quality companies rip, right? <laughs> the market's telling you something. The market's saying, you know, it's time to get bullish. And that's really hard to do after two years. Like, so my funds, and thank you everyone in here who hasn't sold my fund yet. I mean, I've beaten, I think in 2021, I beat 4% of my peers. And last year I beat five. So I've improved a little bit. I would like to say that last year was a really great year for me, and no one in here probably can say that because you know, I'm still down 30%, but I felt really good about what I did last year. And I think that you know, we're getting to that point where it's time to start thinking about adding risk back to the portfolio. It's time to stop immunizing against the end of the world. We've had a huge hit to multiples because of inflation and interest rates going up. Do we have the same hit? Probably not. The math says that as rates continue to rise from here, like the sensitivity declines. So if you're worried that rates are going to go to seven, which I hope they know, but if the rates go to seven, does growth work? No, but nothing else is going to work a whole lot better. Like that relative trade is over. So I think it's time to dip your toe into this stuff. And the way the market is, is behaving, God, it reminds me a lot of like 2009. Here I'm doing it. I'm curve fitting. Reminding like 2009, but where all this stuff started to lift up and nobody really believed it. And we're all sitting there going, God, Tesla's up 90% in like three weeks, 300 billion to 600. That looks weird. Like, nobody does it. Nobody's doing anything. We're just watching this happen on our screens. And I think that now is the time when you can seize that opportunity. So, do I think you guys should all run out and buy your favorite meme stock? Absolutely not. It's very risky out there. The Federal Reserve could still do something crazy. You know, they might say, well, we're going to raise 75 basis points, we're going to crush the economy and drive inflation to zero. Could happen. Seems unlikely based on what we know of past behavior. It seems unlikely based on this data. These things can happen. And, and so you have to be careful about your risks. But yeah, in general, I think the market wants to go up. It really wants to go up. And you just got to try and get out of its way uh, and try and have as little stuff in the way of it going up as possible. So you know, you've never really focused on macro. You've been aware of macro. You don't care if there's a recession or not, interest rates or, or well, not. I do. But you, yeah, yeah, I guess you do. Uh, but I mean, in the past, uh, you know, you focused on uh, both ends of those those tails, mm -hmm. and you always were looking for change. Mm -hmm. I'm not hearing change. Oh, there's tons. I'm hearing momentum. Oh no, there's tons of change. So, what's happening is again. So I always end up in those those. There's two tails where the most change occurs. And unhappily for me and everyone who's owned my funds, I've tended, I was over here, right? I owned all these like hyper growth stocks that had crazy valuations and they all blew up. Well, that's where the most change is happening, right? They've all transferred themselves from here, the expensive section, to here, the, oh my God, I never want to own that thing again. And they're still in my sort of wheelhouse. And now they're changing for the better. And the most exciting move in the stock market is always, the horrendous to bad. 
So when stocks go from horrendous to bad is when you make all the money in the market. Like that is the absolute best move in the market. And that's what you're experiencing right now, right? These companies are awful, like awful, but they're getting better on the margins. And that's when you make the most money. Mm. So yeah, there's tremendous change. And it's not just macro. If, if you look through, like Google's firing people, Microsoft's firing people, Shopify's firing people, everybody's firing people. Sorry, they're, they're restructuring. And <laughs> that's, that's a change. That's something that hasn't been there. You know, they used to just go out and hire you know, every old college student for 250 grand to do absolutely nothing. And now they're like, no, we're not going to do that anymore. So you're actually seeing fundamental change. They're going to raise prices. They're going to cut costs. They're starting to get religion. They're going to behave like a grown-up. That's change. So you're seeing change, and the stocks are starting to react to it. And if you notice, like if you're a, you're a fancy growth stock that's down 95%, when you announce you're going to do a reduction in force, which I think is the current vernacular, stocks go up. And CEOs see that, and they go, huh, you know, I, I did that, and my stock went up. And some of them have done it twice. Wayfair's done it twice now. The stock went up even more. So... Again, there is change occurring. Companies are rationalizing, especially in growth lands. Now, there are other parts of the economy that never, they, they haven't had this existential crisis, right? Energy is still tight. Industrials are still tight. There's lots of parts of the market that never really corrected. And you can look at that and go, well, you know, they still look expensive, whatever. I think this is going to be a market of what I call relative dispersion, where the broad indices don't do a whole lot, but below the belt, there's a lot of movement. And if you can find the sectors where there's a lot more change occurring, I think you're going to be able to add a lot of alpha relative to the broader market. So when I look across the markets right now, sectors I really like are like consumer. Consumer discretionary is the single most shorted sector in the world, right? That's the playbook. You short consumer as soon as you see a recession, you short everything. And if you look, and I pulled up the list in like early January, most shorted stocks, like the first 50 names are all consumer discretionary, all of them. So that tells me where expectations are. People hate this stuff, right? They don't want any part of the consumer. The consumer's going to roll over and die. Inflation's going to kill them. Rates are going to kill them. They're going to lose their jobs. Awful. What if that doesn't happen? And the stocks are already starting to react to that. It's like, oh, it's not as bad as we thought. And like, so example today. Pulte homes, they're build homes, right? Who wants to buy a home, right? If you're in the United States, your mortgage rate has gone bananas. It's like three times more expensive to buy a house or build a house. Home building orders have collapsed. Everyone's getting fired who makes houses. Pulte bottomed in October. It has doubled off the bottom. It reported a terrible quarter today. It took down guidance, and the stock's up 10%. The market's discounted all this, and I think that we need to say, wait, why am I focused on all the bad news? Because things are getting better, or the market's telling me they're getting better, even though it hasn't happened yet. And that happens every single time. And I, I think that's where we are. The changes aren't very big in one sector that you've dealt with, for instance, technology. Because, yeah, you fire 5,000, 10,000 people, but your, your workforce is massive, mm, right? Agreed. Are the changes enough? No. But it's a change in sentiment. So, you know, the, the first layoff of, let's say, Google realized, I think, that was 12,000 people. And maybe leads to another one where it's like 30,000, the next one. And usually by that second one, the market's already roaring. So for me, it's the change in, in momentum, and it's that second derivative. And I don't know how big or important it is, but I know that things have changed. And that's, it's, a, it's a huge change to go from hiring 18,000 people every quarter to not firing people every quarter 
or adjusting it or whatever you want to do. So these big changes and uh, their material, and I, I think that that's good for the market. There are some parts of your portfolio, when I looked at it, that are what you and I have discussed in the past, defensive. Healthcare uh, in particular, mm -hmm. I'd love your thoughts on that sector, and then we'll kind of drill down if we can. Uh, I don't think we need to drill down on healthcare. I don't like it anymore. Oh. Um, so, look, <laughs> healthcare is the, the de facto gold standard in defense. And as a portfolio, you always need to have like a sector of your portfolio that's ready to absorb the shocks. And for me, it's healthcare because it's a little more growthy, and I always own healthcare. I think that the money needs to be made in other parts of the market, but you always need to have a shock absorber. And so healthcare is my shock absorber. Still? Yeah, gotta have something. So that's your defensive. Where's your offense going now? Oh, it's all over the map. But you can see, uh, <laughs> I, was saying, I was saying to Pat before we came on, is uh, if you look at my top 10 as of December of this year and compare it to my top 10 as of December of last year, it's remarkably similar. And yet in the middle, there's a whole lot of stuff that changed. <laughs> um, and if anyone watched the portfolio over the year. And so I just think there's a lot of opportunity in the beaten down sector. So consumer and in technology and really hated shorted names. And I think that's a short-term phenomenon. And ultimately, of course, you want to own the Will Danoff really great companies that are going to be, you know, innovating for the next 15 years. And I'm going to own those too. But in the early stage of the market, you want to really own the really hated stuff. And so I own a lot of that stuff at the moment. Okay. But does that, you know, if, if it's the same 10 at the top last year and same 10 now, Remarkably is similar. it vindication? I had the right names. Mm -hmm. I just went through a rough time in the market. Oh, they were the wrong names. Those, th those names were all down like 80% <laughs> last year. That was terrible. I think, yeah, I, I was down 40, 30. But then you're back wow. into them. The market's changed again. And so this is why I think you, you need to be able to move from place to place to, to make money in this type of market. I don't think that owning just the S&P 5 index is going to be your winning strategy. You're going to be in a churning sort of difficult market like we've been in for the last few years. I don't think that's going to change. So I should okay, we've got some time. great audience questions coming into it. I'm, I'm sorry I took so much time. Uh, what do you think about financials, especially banks these days? So that's so interesting. Um, I haven't owned banks in a big way in a long time, and I sort of like financials. So it's been a really long time since anyone has had interest rates this high, and high interest rates like this are really good for all financials because there's just more income. The NIM is so much bigger. There's more opportunity to, to cover for mistakes. And I actually think financials might be a sneaky, bullish sector, not sexy, but not the worst place to be hunting. And I think, you know, the Canadian banks are, are pretty cheap in general. Good businesses, the NIM's really high, folks are really worried about a housing correction, which is always true in Canada. But it, it could be a sneaky winning spot, so I'm constructive on banks. Funny, Denise said uh, consumer as well as financials. Yeah, they, well, consumer looks great because it's hated. And financials look good because something fundamental changed in that rates are higher, and they're probably structurally higher. I, I tend to be a believer in structurally higher inflation. Greenflation's real. There is a labor problem. It's going to be with us for a while. But I'm not a believer in like long-term 8% inflation. And so if you get to 3 or 4, interest rates will stay, you know, 3 or 4, maybe 5. That's good for financials, really good for financials. Hmm. Somebody knows you. You invested heavily in materials and energy quite heavily last year. 
Are you still interested in them? No. And does China reopening impact how you think about that space? No. So, yeah, energy is no longer a big part of the, my portfolio. Canada is bigger because it's a big part of the benchmark and I have to pay attention to it. Um, energy had the biggest relative move in like, its all-time history. I think it was up, was it up 50%? The market is down 30, except in Canada, where Canada never goes down. But they had a huge relative move. I think that a lot of folks got into energy because it was the only sector working last year. And now there's a lot of folks that are sitting there holding energy positions. They're like, I don't know what this company does. I also think that the reopening trade, A, doesn't work. We all tried it in North America and Europe. Didn't work. We all had all these great reopening plays. I think I talked about it. None of it worked. It's not going to work for China either. So if you're trying to play a reopening play in China, maybe it's already happened. But I think that you need to look through the reopening to like the fundamental story of what you really want to own. So not trying to play any Chinese reopening. I think it has no impact on energy whatsoever. And I think, if anything, it's already happened in China. Hmm. Well, this is interesting. What are your thoughts on the crypto space? So you've had strong opinions in the past. Crypto is hard. I think that you need to, to disaggregate crypto from FTX crypto, which is a fraud. So, um, like Bitcoin is 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 a different animal. Bitcoin is a Bitcoin's for real. A lot of this other stuff isn't. I would say that Ether is also for real. It's used, it's a protocol that's used for lots of different things. So there's a couple of real cryptocurrencies that I think you could invest in. Uh, I think a lot of the other ones are frauds and you should just not even waste your time on it. I think the space is interesting. And I think that, again, there still are a lot of smart people working on this space, trying to figure out what to use it for. And Bitcoin is incredibly useful as a currency worldwide. Like if you're in a bad country somewhere, it's a great way to deal with your wealth. Like it's, it has a great solution. So I don't mind owning Bitcoin exposed names. Uh, some of the other ones I think I would be very careful with. But is it kind of like gold? You know, you don't buy the underlying commodity. You buy the company surrounding that commodity. Uh, and the B- Bitcoin mining is just as bad as any other kind of mining. So I don't think you want to own that. But you can, you can own the guys who bend it, like Coinbase is like the only one that I can think of that is a reputable. So crypto is tricky. And it's, it's something I don't think the general public needs to wade into in a, in a big way, because I think it's still pretty opaque in terms of what the outcomes are. Hmm, interesting. Are there any specific catalysts you are looking for as we move to the second half of the year? Well, I'm looking for the same catalyst as everybody else. We're looking to see what happens with the path of inflation. And I want to see the path of the market. It looks like the market is, there's a lot of stocks that are sort of breaking through their 200-day resistance lines. Technically, it's starting to get better. The pattern of behavior among all the stocks and all the sectors is really, really constructive. And I'm a big believer in listening to that sort of reaction. And so I want to watch the market and see what it does. Like, where are we going? Which sectors are leading? Which are not? What's the market telling us? But you know, from a big picture thing, I'm watching oil. Oil leads inflation, it seems. So you know, as the gas price goes, so does everyone's concept of inflation. It's funny. Inflation. I was listening to these guys talk about the service thing, and inflation expectations are completely seem to be driven by oil prices. Like if the gasoline price goes up, everyone freaks out about inflation, and if gasoline doesn't. They don't care that they're, you know. That's exactly what Denise said this morning, though. Yeah, it doesn't matter that their college thing went up 15. They don't care. But if the gasoline price goes up 10, oh, my God, the end of the world. So you watch oil, and oil will tell you where inflation is going. And right now, oil is sitting there around 80 bucks. It seems to be about a level that makes sense to me, supply and demand. 
if it doesn't move a lot, I'm, I don't think you have to worry too much about inflation. If it starts to jack again, I think you gotta get worried about inflation. Hmm. Talking about early cycle names, what about industrials, such as auto or trucking? And we'll touched on uh, Tesla, not, uh, but electric vehicles too, I, I throw into that auto mix. So industrials have been a great group and uh, they're, they're benefiting from a lot of tailwinds. The alternate energy rebuild, the green, the green build, the reshoring theme, which currently is back in vogue, which seems to come back every five or 10 years. Their businesses are really good, but they also tend to lag. So a lot of them are still benefiting from the COVID nightmare. So they all have incredible pricing and really big backlogs, but those can disappear really quickly as this COVID thing comes down. I'm, I'm Industrials is a stock picking group. There's always something to buy and there's always something to sell. And right now it's not as clear in industrials where you should put your dollars. I think that in general, if you believe in the economy is going to get better, or maybe not the economy, but the market's going to get better, transports tend to be a better place to be in industrials. So like trucking, airlines, let's say rails. Rails are very defensive, good long-term business. But early cyclicals would be trucking, semiconductors, that kind of stuff. Uh, autos and electrical vehicles? So uh, auto has been producing below trend for a long time. They probably continue to produce at more or less the same levels. So auto production probably doesn't change much. The uh, Tesla news is, was was like a bomb going off. Uh, they cut prices so much that it's now very affordable to buy a Tesla, especially with the new uh, subsidy you get in the United States. They're going to sell so many Teslas, like so many. It was such an obvious buying opportunity. This thing, this stock moves on units sold, and units sold are going to explode because it got cheaper. Like price drives volume every single time, and the Tesla is a great car. So they're going to sell a lot more Teslas this year, and they have the capacity to do so, and it's, it's going to really hurt their competition. Uh, uh, to an extent, Tesla has been held back by personality, Elon Musk. That's just a is that, is that an opportunity for you? I, I don't care about the personality so much. I mean, the Tesla's a great car. It's a great product. The recharging stations along the highway are unbelievable. Like, it's just really a great thing. Mm. Uh, any thoughts on artificial intelligence, AI? Oh, uh, Chat GPT <laughs> has been all over the chat, news. Chat what? what? Yeah. Um, so Chat GPT is very interesting. It's very old technology in that a lot of people have done this behind the scenes years ago, like Google and Facebook and Microsoft. It's cool, don't get me wrong. Um, it's not really that useful. It surfaces a lot of really wrong answers. Um, it seems like it doesn't. It sounds very authoritative, but like a lot of stuff it tells you is just wrong. And it's, it's static. It's trained on a, you know, a corpus of knowledge that's stale and doesn't update real time. So it's like version 1.0 of what it should be. Um, it's cool, no question. We've, I've messed around with it. Everyone's messed around with it. Um, but it's not really game-changing. I would still rather go to Google and get truth rather than chat GPT stuff. But generative AI is, is a big deal. There's a whole bunch of companies out there like, like Stable Diffusion that do, that do art, AI art. Of course, now they're being sued. So, so it's very interesting. It's not that surprising. We've sort of known these companies for years. The public is now saying, oh, wow, that's cool. It is cool, um, but it's not really game, you know, game ready. Are those investable AI companies, though, already had their move? Have they already had their move? Anything that's an investable in a artificial There's nothing. They're all still private. Oh, they are? Yeah. Do you still have private component? One of my privates that was doing this got acquired by a bigger company. So. 
Oh, but do you still have privates as part of your portfolio? I do, I do. Yeah, they've all been marked down a lot. They're a lot cheaper than they were a year ago. <laughs> um, but you know, many of them are, are real companies, and I haven't done a lot of private investing because the private market is like still up here in terms of valuation. A lot of these visionary founders believe they're worth this, and the market's saying they're worth this. There's a big, big range in between. So there's not really any impetus to do private investing. We need expectations to come down for me to get excited there. You mentioned it. What are your thoughts on semiconductors? I like semis. You can see today NXPI report awful quarter, stocks up. Um, these things move early. And the fundamentals for semiconductors, they're worse. But the long-term story hasn't really changed. It's still a consolidated group of companies that semiconductors are needed for virtually everything we do. And not much has changed. It's an economic cycle. It's a normal recession. Stocks got overpriced in the bubble. They've corrected. I don't know what the right valuation is. Smart people will tell you what the right value I have no idea. But what I do know is they're no longer going down on bad news. And that probably makes them all buys. Uh, where are you seeing leadership in this new market environment? And we've gone over new, a lot of like The last three weeks? <laughs> yeah, as in the last three weeks, yes. Yeah. So it's interesting. Uh, I think that energy was the leader until about September of last year. And you could see it losing, losing its leadership edge. And then consumer and, and everything tech-related really looked like it was picking up steam. And then in December hit, and we had this weird tax selling. Like everything went down. It was the strangest move I've ever seen. So we bounced off of that because that was just dumb. And now you're starting to see strength in consumer, really. I, and I think that's because the market's saying that if we do have a recession, it's not going to be as bad as we expected, and the stocks are just oversold. So, you know, consumer tech, mega cap tech is just is on fire. I mean, not maybe Microsoft and Apple, but the other ones, Meta and Netflix and Tesla, and I think they're all up a lot. Payment companies, payment, all the payment companies are, are screaming. Um, I don't know. It's, it looks like a bull market. Feels like one. <laughs> what are some of the things you pay attention to when you're looking to invest in a company? <sighs> I can't boil it down. There's about 50 different things that you look at in every different company. And it depends on what company, what industry, what time of the cycle, all these different. There's so many variables. So I don't have that list. A lot of portfolio managers have a nice list and they say, you know, I want three times cash flow and margins of X, and I don't have that list. I've owned pretty much every stock ever at some point or another over 16 years. I'm an absolute omnivore. I'll buy anything of any size, anywhere, in any country, at any time. So I don't have, I don't have, I don't have that. I just don't. Uh, here's a very interesting question. Somebody obviously considering investing in Mark Schmell. Oh, scary. Yeah. Well, <laughs> how do you differentiate between your three funds mm. right now? It's tricky. It's been something I've struggled with, actually, since I launched um, Innovators, because the, the other two Canadian funds are like a 50-50 sort of blend. And that has really hurt me over the last two years in, in relative to my Canadian peers, because I... 50% somewhere out of Canada, and Canada's been like the best market on the planet, like the best market in the world. Um, so on a relative peer basis, I haven't done that well. Uh, so the way I think about it is Special Sits is now closed. I, I view that as my small cap sort of product, and I've had that forever. Um, so the smaller stuff goes into Special Sits. Slightly more risky stuff goes into Special Sits, and that's been the same for a while. Growth company is more core 
it's bigger, it's, uh, it's gonna own a slight, slightly more boring things. And then global innovators is just, it allows me to go to more degrees of freedom, so I don't have a limit to just Canada, I can go all over the world. So special sits and innovators will look very similar over time, I think, with you know, special sits having a 50% Canadian content. Um, and then growth companies is kind of its own unique animal, and it sort of will be blended in between. So it's tricky, and there's no question it's tricky. Um, all the funds tend to move the same. You and I chatted less than two months ago, mm -hmm. and your tone is decidedly more positive oh, right God. now. Yeah, well the market, I thought, bottomed like the day after we talked. I think it went down 4%. Yeah, it's because you said that, yeah. God, uh, that that said, uh, do you anticipate more changes in your portfolio, more rotation, more turnover? Yes. Yeah, so my turnover has always been about 200% a year, forever. And I think that this market this is going to be a trader's market. I think that you're going to have to move around a little bit. I don't think you can just buy and hold and, and own your favorite stocks. It's going to be tricky. It's going to be tricky. But I think it will be constructively tricky as opposed to like negatively tricky where it goes down and you lose. I think it's going to go up, but it's going to be grinding and it's going to move around to different bits and pieces. Where And, and my style is obviously I'm trying to find the places where there's the most change happening. And that's going to change as we go throughout the year, as we come off this weird COVID wave thing. Thank you so much for your time, Mark. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Fidelity Connects podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review or a five-star rating. Fidelity mutual funds and ETFs are available by working with a financial advisor or through an online brokerage account. Visit fidelity.ca slash how to buy for more information. And while visiting fidelity.ca, you can also find information on future live webcasts. And don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks again. See you next time.